guess uh, one of the things that um, is a distinctive about the way we do missions here is this thing that we call MITs. I'm not sure you understand them just yet. We haven't been doing it for about seven years, so uh, take your time. Um, but it's called ministry initiative teams, and what we want to do is try to mobilize you to do whatever it is that God has burdened you with. And so we just want you to find out where you want to plug in in the, in the Great Commission, and we just want to fund it. That's what the MITs are all about. Well, one of those things was brought into being um, by Trip Howell uh, concerning a ministry to uh, Hispanics in the city, which is estimated about 100,000 uh, people in our city. Uh, it's called Sukasa. Uh, it's out w- close to my old high school in, at Kingsbury. Um, but it is run by a guy by the name of Tim Jewett. And Tim is with us tonight, and I just thought you'd like to meet him. He's sitting right over there. Stand up, Tim. There you go. Um, Tim speaks fluent Spanish, and I don't. Um, So we fought over that for a minute. Um, Guys, um, you'll never, at least in my opinion, you'll never quite really or fully and completely understand and enjoy the, the message of the book of Galatians until you understand the backstory um, <clears throat> to the book. It's a backstory that we can put together fairly easily um, through things out of the book of Acts and in other Pauline epistles, uh, you know, just grabbing some stuff out of both of those books. You can kind of put together what's going on uh, as Paul writes the, the book of um, of Galatians. In short, here's the backstory. Um, Paul is responding uh, to a bunch of people who call who are called Judaizers. He's he's responding to those people who are trying to make law a part of the gospel. That's the backstory. He's trying to um, he's trying to overturn uh, a group of people who. Um, who, are, who, are confused, who have confused the gospel by adding law to it, okay? Now, guys, I know that you're all sitting out there wondering, when are we ever going to get to verse 1 of Galatians chapter 2? Um, we will do that, I promise, and, I, and Lord willing, it, may, it looks like it'll be next week. But I want to give you one final shot Um, That is, in defining this whole idea of the role of law in the life of the Christian. Um, I had a a young man say to me on Monday that um, all of his life, um, I mean, he had never understood that that, uh, obedience and service to Christ was in response to the gospel. He had always heard that uh, working hard is the gospel. That's law, ladies and gentlemen. That's what, that's what Paul is fighting, a gospel that says <clears throat> that if you're, um, uh, if you're ever going to be right with God, you're going to have to work hard to, uh, to achieve it. Well, that's, that's what Paul is fighting. Um, and so I want to take one more week just to try and make sure that, that, that um, the understanding that you have about the role of law is crystal clear in your minds. Remember, we mentioned three uh, uses of the law. There's the pedagogical use, there's the civil use, and there's the normative use. And that's the one we spent all week on last week, the, the normative use of the law. 
uh, the normative use of the law in the life of a Christian. Gang, I, I'm not doing this tonight because I think you're, you're dull and dense and you just don't get it. Um, very frankly, this tonight may be a little bit of overkill on my part, but um, my, my real purpose in doing this one more time tonight um, is to teach you this whole thing, once again, out of the Old Testament. Um, guys, when I, when I talk about the role of the law for Christians, its role has always been the same for Christians or for God's people in the Old Testament. Um, it, it wasn't the, the law, the Ten Commandments were never given as some method by which somebody might attempt to save himself, and then when Jesus was born, it changed. No, ladies and gentlemen. The role of the law in your life as a Christian is the same role that it has always, it was always intended to play uh, in the life of any of God's people, whether they be out of the Old Testament or the New. It was never designed, it was never intended to be a method by which we saved ourselves. What the law is for us Christians, it was also the same thing for Israel as it was originally given and originally intended. Um, it, it's never been the, the, the intent of the law to save anybody. And that's what Paul is fighting because that's what the Judaizers were trying to do. They were trying to add law to the gospel. Now, I, shot, I sought to show you that last week um, from, we, I, I showed you, I mean, I, one of the places we went is Exodus chapter 20. And I'm going to do it one more time. Um, but this time, uh, um, you get pictures. Um, you get my own, you get my own artwork um, to help you understand and understand this fully. And I, I just know that the, the the ultimate solution to you understanding this all is going to be my artwork. Okay. Not only are you going to get some artwork, but you're going to get a little bit of Old Testament history. Okay. And again. My, the whole intention is to make sure that you understand the role of the law in the life of the Christian. All right? Now, okay, here comes the artwork. Um, now, that is not bad. I know you don't know that, but that, this is the Mediterranean Sea out here. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Um, and this down here is uh, this down here is the uh, Red Sea. Red Sea. Uh, it's really called the Gulf of Aqaba. But this is Israel right here. This is Israel. Um, you have the the Dead Sea down here, which is attached to the Sea of Galilee up here. This is where Jesus did all the miracles and got all the fish and all out of that place. And and the Sea of Galilee is connected to the Dead Sea by, of course, by the River Jordan. Okay. Now, um, uh, actually, that's probably a little bit misdrawn, but be that as it may. Um, uh, here's, the, here's the Dead Sea. You know, that's, nothing can live in the Dead Sea. And, and Jerusalem is right about here, and Jericho is right about here. And then there's another city right about here, approximately. Um, and by the way, this is Egypt. Uh, this is Egypt down here, okay? 
Um, uh, and this is a city called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea, okay? Now, that's a very important city, Kadesh Barnea. Everybody knows what happens at Kadesh Barnea, don't you? See, that's why I'm giving you this history lesson tonight, this Old Testament history lesson. Kadesh Barnea, Numbers chapter 13, big, big city. I mean, not big, big, big event at Kadesh Barnea. In Numbers chapter 13, God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to send out 12 spies. I want one spy from each tribe. I want you to send them out into the, by the way, here's the promised land right up here. Here's the promised land right here. Um, And I want you to send out 12 spies and I want you to go spy out the land and then I want them to bring back a report uh, for all the people of Israel. All right. So Moses sends out 12 spies and you remember those 12 spies and two of them uh, was, one of them was Joshua, one of them was Caleb and then there was 10 more. They go to the promised land and they spy it all out. They spy all this thing out here and they come back with a bad report. Remember? They were gone 40 days. They were gone 40 days, and they come back with a bad part, and they tell people, and they're gathered, they're camped right here at Kadesh Barnea, and they tell them, oh, we can't do that. Oh, my gosh, no. I mean, there's the, there's the sons of Anak up there. We can't, oh, no, we got to stay right here. And then, of course, Joshua and Caleb are saying, oh, no, go get them. You can do it. We can do it. And, and, and you know, it becomes a big old mess. But as a result of them not trusting uh, God's provision, they wander in a desert, right around in here, for 40 years. They are 11 days, 11 days journey from the promised land. Uh, that's said in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2. 11 days away they are, but instead of entering the promised land, they wander around for 40 years. After that 40 years, they begin to make their trek towards the promised land. This way, on the, on the east side of the River Jordan. Um, the, 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 the first big battle that they fight up there, um, you, you, oh, the, the, the guy's name is Sihon. And Sihon is defeated. Um, uh, that, that's in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 26. So they're moving north. And they run into Sihon and they defeat Sihon. Then they, uh, actually, I got that going a little bit too, uh, it really, Sihon is down here. Um, uh, uh, but then they're moving further north and they run into, not Sihon, they run into Og. And, you know, Og's bed is like 14 feet long and he's a big guy and, and they, just, they just destroy Og. Um, so, and, and by the way, uh, this is where the two tribes, Gad, I think Reuben, Reuben's down here, Gad, and then the half tribe of Manasseh. Remember all that? Does any of that ring a bell? Um, Reuben and Gad and a half tribe of Manasseh, and then Manasseh has another half over here. But Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, they all stay on this side of the Jordan. But now it's time. They've been wandering for 40 years. Now it's time to go in. Moses goes to God and says, listen, would you let me go in? You know, I really would like to go to the promised land. And God says, no, I don't want to hear another word about it. That's almost the, the, the quote out of the text. It's Deuteronomy 3. Uh, I don't want to hear another word from you about going into the promised land. You're not going. Turn it over to Joshua. You ain't going. Now, 
Once that's settled, by the way, this is Jerusalem right here, that little dot. This little dot right here is Jericho, okay? Um, And you remember, they entered the promised land at Jericho. You remember that? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. That's, that's where they come in, at Jericho. Right before they go in at Jericho, Moses preaches a series of sermons right here. Right on the other side of Jericho. He goes up on this mountain, he looks out, and he gets to see a little bit of the promised land, but he doesn't get to go in it, he gets to see it. But he begins to preach a series of sermons. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what the book of Deuteronomy is. It's a series of sermons, and they're preached right there. Right there. You know, they, they, they've, been, they've wandered that 40 years. Oh, I was, they were terrible. And, and then they, they, now it's time. All those bad guys are dead and those 10 spies that didn't do good, they, they're all dead. And so they started to move. Oh, they meet Sahan. They beat him up. And then they go to Og and they beat him up. They take this land and Reuben, Gad, and a half tribe of Manasseh gets this on the east side of the Jordan. But now they're going to cross the Jordan and go to the west side of the Jordan where the promised land is. You know, Jerusalem and all that stuff. And the Sea of Galilee and all that. But before they go, Moses has a series of sermons. And the series of sermons, ladies and gentlemen, is the book of Deuteronomy. That's what Deuteronomy is. It's a series of sermons. Did you get that? I want you to hear. I want you to see. I want you to study with me. One of the sermons of Moses found in the book of Deuteronomy. All designed to help us understand the role of the law in the life of the Christian. All right? I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. That's my artwork, ladies and gentlemen. And that's that's about the best I can do. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now, guys, uh, just, just flip back to uh, chapter 2 um, in verse 26. King Sihon defeated. I just said that. Sihon's defeated. Look at chapter 3. King Og is defeated. That's him right there. I just said that. That's 3 verse 1. Then over there, and I said, um, Moses, look at verse um, look at, uh, 325. Uh, Moses says, I pray, let me cross over and see the good land before the, uh, before the, beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Do you see that? I just told you that. I just told you that. Um, and so uh, he's given him a little history. This is in his sermon. This is in Moses' sermon. You remember, you know, we fought with uh, Sion. You know, my first point is, remember we had the battle with Sion? Oh, we beat them bad. My second point is, we had this battle with Og, and we beat him bad too. And then right after we just whooped up on uh, on Og, I asked God if I could go into the promised land, and he said, shut up. I don't want to hear any more of that. Then we come to chapter 4. Now, ladies and gentlemen, You fix your attention on this book. 
Now, O Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot riding on those three words. Actually, O is, is, is not even called a word. Um, it's called an expletive. Oh, now, oh, Israel. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to understand your Bibles, here's the first thing you've got to figure out. Moses is preaching a sermon. To whom is he preaching it? That's very important. Very, very important. Who's he preaching it to? Well, that's pretty clear. It says Israel. Okay, well, uh, that, that was an easy one for us, wasn't it? Who's Israel? Well, you know who Israel was, don't you? Israel was the, was the guy whose name was Jacob, and he wrestled with God in Genesis 32, and he lost, and God changed his name to Israel because you wrestled with, Yah- you wrestled with God. And then Israel, uh, Jacob, whose name is now Israel, he goes out and has 12 boys, 12 sons. Ever heard of those boys? Well, Reuben and Gad and Manasseh were a couple of them, or were some of them, you know? The 12 tribes of Israel. Who's Israel? Oh, that's the descendants of Jacob, the very people of God. Oh, really? Is that what it is? Um, well, yeah, I think it is. But look at ch- verse 37 in chapter 4. 34. 37, and because he loved your father, Moses is preaching, and because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them, and he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power. Who is Moses speaking to, ladies and gentlemen? That's very important. I'll tell you, he's speaking to Israel. Who's Israel? Well, was those people that when God went out and got them out of Egypt. You know, he, he did all those ten plagues thing, you know, and just wrenched them out of Egypt and brought them out. And, and, and why did he do that? Well, because he loved your ancestors. And because he loved Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he chose you. You know, you've heard Israel being called the chosen people. That's what it says right there in verse 37. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants. Guys, I'm only trying to identify for you who is it that is being addressed in chapter 4, verse 1, now, O Israel. Who is that? Who is that? Um, It's the people uh, that are called Israel who were brought out of Egypt um, by God stretching forth his hand against Pharaoh um, and driving out, by the way, look at, look at verse 38, uh, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. I, I went down and I, I, you know, I, 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 uh, I fought with uh, Pharaoh and I got rid of him. And then I brought you guys all the way out of here and you mess around and you, you know, spent 40 years. But I, I, I wrenched you out of Egypt. And, you know, you did a bad thing and 40 years you spent roaming around in there. But now, now I'm displacing the kings and nations that are mightier than you because I'm giving that land to you because I loved your descendants and I chose you. Who is it that Moses is addressing in the three words that open chapter 4? 
Now, O Israel. He is addressing, ladies and gentlemen, his people. He's addressing his people. Look at verse 20 of chapter 4. Um, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out from the iron furnace out of Egypt. Look, look, look. To be his people. An inheritance as you are this day. It, it, lest, lest there be some doubters out there. Um, uh, you might want to check verse 7, verse 33, and verse 34. Ladies and gentlemen, crystal clear, no doubts, unarguable, very clear, very firmly, very simply, when Moses starts his... Actually, he's not started. He started making it way back in chapter 3. But uh, in, in, in chapter 4, when he says, Now, O Israel, I ask you, I ask you, to whom is Moses presenting this sermon? The answer very clearly, very simply, very unarguably. Moses is speaking to God's people. He brought you out of Egypt to be his people. He stretched forth his arm and he carried you out on eagle's wings and he brought you to be his people. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's crucially important. Crucially important because of what I'm about to say. You got to get that right. To whom is this being spoken? It's being spoken to people who are God's possession. He's speaking this to his own people, Israel, his people. Ladies and gentlemen, I have said this so many times. I know you're, you're, you're bored at me saying it again. But that is what we call the indicatives. The indicatives. Who are these people being spoken to here? God's people. His people. The ones he redeemed out of the furnace of Egypt. The ones that he, that he says in, in, in uh, Exodus 19, I bore you out on eagle's wings. My people. That's who they are. That's what an indicative is. It's a statement of who they are. Very clearly. I tried to do that pretty clearly in, you know, in chapter 4. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to his people. So, ladies and gentlemen, is that clear? Is that clear? It ought to be. That is, to whom is this sermon being preached? Moses is preaching this sermon to God's people. And to them he says, look at, their, look at your Bibles, ladies and gentlemen. I know I'm cute, but I'd rather you look at this. L look at what it says. Now, O Israel, listen. 
listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to what? Disgust? No. Listen, God's people. Listen to these statutes. Listen to these judgments that I have given you to observe. If that word's difficult for you, let me just substitute another word. Listen, God's people, to the judgments and statutes that I have given you to obey. Keep reading with me. Verse 2. You shall not add to the word, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Don't you be adding to what I said. And don't you be taking anything away from it either. Listen, people of God. Listen, says Moses. He's speaking to God's people. He says, listen, you need to observe the commands and the statutes of the Lord our God. And by the way, don't add to them. Don't subtract them. No, no, no. No, 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 no. You just, I gave them to you like he gave them to me. I want you to, I want you to, to listen to those things. Don't add to them. Look at, look at verse 5. Um, Surely I have taught you statutes and, just, and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me. You know all that stuff that I taught y'all? You know all that stuff that, I, that, that I've been you know, harping on for all these 40 years? I got that stuff from God. And um, I, I, I want you to listen up so that you can observe it. Don't add it. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. You just do what I told you to do because I'm just a mouthpiece of what God said was his statutes and his judgments. And then we come, ladies and gentlemen, to verse 6. Therefore, be careful. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not to be understood. Be cautious. No, no, no. It is to be full of care. Be careful. Be full of, take care. Look at verse 6. Therefore, be careful to observe them. I've been teaching you those judgments and statutes for 40 years. Now, be very careful. Be very careful to do them. And, and, and look at this, guys, and, um, uh, on in verse 6. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely that's, this nation is a wise and understanding people. Ladies and gentlemen, why is it that the world is saying about God's people, that's surely a great nation? You know why the world sees that as wisdom? You know what they're looking at? Oh, they're just looking at a group of people who are obeying statutes. And the world steps back and says, Mama, that, that, that bunch of folks, those are some wise people. They're not wise. They're just obeying. Do you know why, ladies and gentlemen, your country is the laughingstock of the world? 
because we have decided we don't need to obey anymore as a, the powerful America. You obey, and as you obey, says Moses, the world will look at you and they'll say, Oh my, those are some wise people. No, no, and it's not that we're wise. We're just doing what we were told. Keep reading. Um, verse 9. Um, verse 9. Moses says, only take heed to yourself. By the way, that take heed right there in verse 9 is said three more times in verse 15, verse 19, and verse 23. Now, take heed. Look what he says. Take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself. Here it is. Lest you forget. For 40 years I've been laying this out to you. For 40 years, I've been telling you the statutes and the judgments of God. Now, be very careful to do them. And um, take heed. Take heed that you, not dis that you not forget this. When you forget it, you tend to lead lawless lives. Um, take heed lest you forget. For, forget. Forget what? I mean, what, I mean, what do you mean forget? What is it that they're going to forget? Look at verse 23. Um, take heed. There's that take heed again. Take heed to yourselves lest you forget the covenant. The covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you. Now listen, you need to be very alert because the tendency is going to be that you're going to forget and you're going to forget the covenant. Well, now that's a nice churchy language, Dr. Young, but I don't even know what the covenant is. What the word, what the heck is a covenant? Oh, so glad you asked. Because he tells you, ladies and gentlemen, and he tells you very clearly in verse 13. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, comma. Look at it. The Ten Commandments. Who is, who is Moses preaching to? He's preaching to a bunch of God's people, just like I am. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, if you've, got, if you've got half of a decent pastor's heart, which I'm not sure I do, I might have a quarter, but I mean, if, you've, if you're any kind of pastor at all, this is how you preach to them. You look at them and you say, Oh, beloved, be careful. Be full of care. Oh, brothers and sisters, take heed. Because the tendency is going to be that you're going to forget the covenant. Covenant, what's that? Oh, I meant to just say the Ten Commandments. The tendency among God's people is that they are going to forget what? 
How can that be? Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, what is it that Moses wants God's people to perform? He wants them to perform the covenant. And what's the covenant? Verse 13. Who's he saying this to? He's saying this to people who already belong to God. We settled that 20 minutes ago. And once the indicatives are stated, it is then and only then that he begins to outline the imperatives. Ladies and gentlemen, do you get that? You got to get it. You got to get that. I can't look at somebody who doesn't belong to God and tell them to obey. But when I'm looking out over a room of people who do belong to God, you know what I tell them? I tell them to obey. Why do you want to do that, Jimmy? I thought we were under grace. Ladies and gentlemen, that is grace. The grace that I have been brought to him and I am one of his own. And now because I am one of his own, what does he expect from me? That I obey. That I keep the covenant. That I do the Ten Commandments. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm spending all this time tonight to try and show you the role of the law in the life of the believer. Do you see it? I'm almost done. Look at verse 39, chapter 4. He summarizes. Verse 39. Therefore, and he's coming to the end of his sermon. Um, and uh, he says, all right. Now, as a result of what all of that I've just said, know this day and consider it in your heart um, that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes and commandments, which I command you today. Okay, in recognition that there's only one God, there's not another one, not, 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 not Allah and all the others. I, there's only one. There's only one under heaven, ladies and gentlemen. And I belong to him. And if you're a Christian, you belong to the one and only God that there is. And to us, he says, you, verse 40, you shall therefore keep his statutes and commandments, which I command you today. Not so that I can become a child of God. Oh, no, no, no. That's already settled. But because it is settled and I do belong to him, I am to keep his statutes and his commandments. 
And God didn't need to do this, but he does. Why? Why do I need to obey? Keep reading in verse 40. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, so that it may go well with you. (laughs) Who is it that benefits from observing the Ten Commandments in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is us. Obedience means that things just go well. Disobedience. And things absolutely unravel at the seams. And I'm telling you, just about every person in this room knows of the truth of what I just said. Because we've done it. We've disobeyed and we've watched things come apart, haven't we? Real quick, just some lessons First of all, ladies and gentlemen, the obedience to law never makes you God's people. Obedience happens because you are God's people. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the normative use of the Ten Commandments in the life of the believer. That's pretty easy, isn't it? However, due to our tendency to forget, this passage is full of, you're going to forget, you're going to forget, you're going to forget, take it because you're going to forget. Due to our tendency to forget, due to our love of sin, due to our waywardness, due to our rebellious souls, Frequent reminders are needed. You know what we're doing here? You know what we're doing here on Wednesday nights? We're all being reminded. That's all we're doing. We just get in here and get reminded. Because we're prone to forget, aren't we? We're just in here getting reminded by me and by each other. Oh God, how rich and glorious is your word. Um, Lord, if I have confused your people, forgive me and clarify it in a way that I cannot. But Lord, um, would you make this crystal clear in the lives of your people that they might not ever fall prey to the wicked gospel of the Judaizers that Paul is fighting in the book of Galatians. Might we never be so off kilter that we would ever dream that our baptism is what saved us or that our obedience is what saves us or our fidelity as husbands or wives is what saves us. None of that does, Lord. It's only Christ. It's only his finished work. 
But because of that, we've become your people. And now you've issued us marching orders. Grant us grace to keep step. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.